So how do you become a leader worth following? Well, part of that is beginning to truly understand what leadership really is. And it's about motivating people to accomplish a task, accomplish a goal. And so what leadership isn't, it's not about emails. It's not about to-do lists. It's not about action. It's more about leadership. It's about people and about knowing your people and getting the most out of your people. And one of the exercises I do when I take over a new manufacturing plant, I would meet with as many employees as possible, obviously all the key managers, but I would try to get as many employees as possible. And I would ask three questions. One is what's going well here? The second question is what's not working here? And third is if you were in my shoes, what would be the first thing you would do as taking over this business? So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams, and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hammond, your host. On today's episode, we have John Rennie. The name of the podcast is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. I would love to talk about all things leadership you're going to get a ton out of John. I could have spent probably two or three hours talking to him about leadership. I love the way that he approaches it. He's got background in the military, in the corporate world, and now as being an entrepreneur, business owner himself. Without further ado, here's my conversation with John Rennie. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level and his strategies work and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Autopilot Recruiting. Join over 1,200 State Farm agents in putting your recruiting on Autopilot. Any successful insurance agent will tell you how important team is. Finding those rock star team members doesn't happen when left to chance. It happens through consistent recruiting. You never know when you're going to lose a team member, and the key to an incredible team is constantly searching for the best talent. Autopilot Recruiting is a continuous recruiting service where you'll be assigned a recruiter that has been trained to recruit on your behalf every business day. This recruiter will take over and revamp your career plug, send out assessments, do pre-screened phone interviews, and schedule your in-office interviews. All you need to do is to show up and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. This ongoing service is extremely affordable and a no-brainer for taking your insurance agency to the next level. Listeners of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, go to 
autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code Club Capital to get started. Again, autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code Club Capital to get started. John Rennie, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Very excited to have you. So I got to know you. I was on your podcast back uh, just a few weeks ago, which I was honored to get to do. And so I said, man, we got to get John on to talk about all things leadership. But John, we always start with background and origin story. Love to kind of hear just people's journeys about kind of how they got to where they are today. So why don't you share with our listeners yours? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire, a small New England city, and it was a blue collar town and everybody who Basically, you're born there, you raise your family there, you die there. My grandparents were born there, my parents were born there, I was born there. And I was one of those kids that wanted to do something different. I wanted to leave the town of Manchester, New Hampshire and go do something. And I, fortunately, I had two grandfathers that served in World War II, one in the Army, one in the Navy. And as a kid, I remember hearing their stories and the things that they did and the places they went and the experiences they had. And so for me, that was something I wanted to do in my life. So I set a goal very early in life to become a submarine officer. I was fascinated with the stories of World War II submarine crews and captains. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to join the submarine force. I wanted to be an officer. And at that time, the Cold War was kind of raging. We had the Soviets and the Americans, and there was this cat and mouse game happening with submarines. And I'm like, I want to be there. I want to be part of this. And so even before I went into high school, I set my goal to get into the Navy and get into the Marine Force. So I ended up having good grades in high school, enough to get into a good engineering school. I studied mechanical engineering and I got accepted into the submarine community. I spent a year and a half training out of college. And then I went and served on the USS Tennessee, which was a ballistic missile submarine out of Kings Bay, Georgia. I did that for five years, made seven deployments. And then I decided to get out and I entered into the corporate world. I went in for 22 years working for three global companies. And during that time, I ran eight different manufacturing plants. So I got a chance to lead in the military and then lead in the corporate environment. And then seven years ago, I quit my life as a corporate guy and I started my own manufacturing business. And that's what I do today. So I run a manufacturing business. I write books on leadership and I do a podcast called the Deep Leadership Podcast, which you are on. And that's what I do for a living now. I'm a complete entrepreneur, completely independent, and I'm having fun doing it. I think I say once you go become an entrepreneur, you never go back, right? You're like I, yeah, I, I would no, suspect you're not going back to corporate world. There's no possibilities that I could ever go back. <laughs> Respectfully, you're unemployable at this point, and I recognize that completely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it about leadership, John? For me, leadership, small business is in my blood, and entrepreneurship. And I hope our listeners kind of pick that up. Is that that's just who I am, and I love it. What is it about leadership for you that you love so much? Yeah, I guess the big thing for me is I found a really good baseline of leadership in the Navy, especially in this environment, in a submarine, in a closed space. You were stuck with the crew that you deployed with. So we'd be out to sea for three months together. And we really got to know people. You got to know the people that you worked for. You knew the people that you that worked for you. And you had deep relationships with them. And so when I got into corporate, what I recognize is that that was a foreign concept in terms of getting to know the people and understanding what motivates them and how to get the best out of them. And what I recognized after running these eight different manufacturing plants is that I was leading differently than all my other peers. I was put in place to turn around struggling manufacturing businesses. They put me in to do it. And I did it every time. And I did it just through engaging people and getting them motivated 
having them understand what the goals are and listening to their ideas, trying to establish where we wanted to go with the business and what they needed to do to contribute toward that. So what I learned through this long journey of leading people is that leadership is a people business. It's about engaging our teams to be able to get difficult things done. And I think as an entrepreneur, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs on my podcast and a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck because they grow their business up to a certain point and they just can't let go. They hold tightly to a lot of the things that make them successful. And you write about this too. And they have a hard time just letting go and letting others bringing smart people and letting go and letting them take the lead in certain areas so that you can grow, you can scale. And so I think it's all about people and engaging people and getting the most out of people. That's what I talk about when I write about that leadership is all about people. So from your life of childhood, high school, into the corporate world for 22 years, who are the people that you look back on and for good and bad? Okay. Yeah. You may have seen, had some leaders that influenced you, but influenced you and said, hey, I don't want to be that type of leader, mm -hmm. right? And so obviously you don't have to call those people out, but what are some of the people that poured into your life that you learned from that kind of shaped your beliefs, your values, your philosophies around leadership? Yeah, I would say my first commanding officer was as tough as nails and he was really difficult to work for. He was hard. And so there were a lot of qualities about his leadership style that I just said, I'm never going to be that way because he was a yeller, screamer. He would poke you in the chest physically. We're talking the 90s here. So some of these kinder, friendly or military groups didn't exist back then. So he was tough on us. But one of the things I recognize is that he knew how to fight that ship. Right. And so he was tough on us because he wanted to bring us to a higher level. So he pushed us really hard. And I became a really good naval officer because of him. And I ended up having a deep respect for him because he was very knowledgeable and he wanted the absolute best out of all of us. And so he was tough. Right. But there was a purpose behind his toughness. So there was some things in his leadership style. I'm like, OK, I like the fact that pushing and trying to get to a higher level of performance. I love that. But we can be a little less pushy, shovey and screaming and a little less of the F words. Right. So fast forward to one of my first jobs in the corporate world. I was actually an R&D engineer and I had a major failure at a test lab. So we had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a new product that had never been done before. And I was responsible for doing all the product testing. And we went to the lab for the first time. And this piece of gear was supposed to be safer than the alternative. A person could be around it. And if something happened, it would contain this arc. It was basically a piece of electrical equipment. And it would put all the gases out the top of it to protect the people around it. That was the goal, at least. And so my first test, we ran it and it completely blew up pieces everywhere. And I write about it in my books is it was a complete failure for me as a young design engineer working for a big company. But I had a boss and I remember I called him. I had to tell him my tail between my leg. I had to call him and say that we failed this test. He asked me two questions. He said, do you know what happened? And I knew how it had failed and why it had failed. And I said, yes. And he said, can you fix it? And I said, absolutely. And he said, we'll get back to the factory. Let's get back to the lab as quick as we can. And it was a great example of where a boss had my back, backed mm -hmm. me up when something went wrong, knowing that it was something that had never been done before. We are trying something that had never been done before. And there was a possibility that it might be a failure. And so he never exposed me to the type of heat that he got from upper management. He protected me. He kept the lane cleared while I reworked the problem, redesigned the product, 
and got back to the test lab. And we ended up passing the next time. We got back 30 days later, passed all our tests. We were the first in the market. We gained market share. We won all these patents. We became widely recognized in the industry for this safer equipment. And it was all because one boss had my back. So those two bosses, one demanding the best out of our performance and another one having my back when things went wrong. I learned a lot of things early on from those type of leadership styles. I may have it a little wrong, but it sounds like he was in a human form what you were trying to build and in the manufacturing facility. He absorbed a lot of that shrapnel that he was probably getting and pressure and didn't push that on to all of you. I've given that speech probably 20 times and I've never put that together. So great point. Exactly. He was protecting me and keeping me safe while yeah. I was trying to rework the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I'm going to put that in my next time I give that talk. That's great. You should. You <laughs> should. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm a sports nut. I will try to use analogies or metaphors or stories from sports that whether it's myself or this week, actually on the podcast, we just dropped the episode, Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Now I'm an Auburn guy, but you yeah. know everybody knows Nick Saban at Alabama. And so now I don't think that all of the parallels between sports and business exist, okay, which is where I'm wanting to go with you in the military context is to say, what are some of the things that you did learn that absolutely do apply over to business? And then maybe there's a couple of things that you say, <laughs> no, that works in the context of the military, as in in sports, there's things that the context of it only works in sports. It doesn't really transfer over to business. What were some of those for you? Yeah, I think the big thing that I came away from my time on the submarine is there's really two things the leader is responsible for, and that's the mission and the people. And I think that the key word is there is and. So it's to accomplish the mission. In our case, it was to defend the country and get everybody home safely, right? That was our mission. Everybody knew what the mission is, and we carried out that mission. But we also did it by also taking care of our sailors, right? Making sure that they got three square meals, that simple things. You might laugh at this, but making sure they were doing hygiene and take care of themselves and that they were getting there. We, we had this thing called a family gram. So every week you would get one letter from home. So make sure they were getting their family grams, make sure their mental health was okay. We took care of the mission and the people. That's the one thing I take away from the military when I'm running businesses. A lot of times you see there's this term called servant leadership and servant leadership is all about the people. You're taking care of the people. I used to think I was a servant leader all these years, but really Servant leadership places the people number one priority. And I think that's really important. What's missing is the mission. You can't, you know, especially as a small business, we're not charities, right? So we're here to make money. We have a mission that we have to accomplish. So to me, it's always been the mission and the people. That's one of the big things that I pulled from this idea of mission and people. The one thing, though, that I don't use it very often in the civilian world as I did in the military is there are times when the leader just stands up and takes charge and has to run things. And so it's very rare that I have to pull that out in business. But there are times when there's a crisis with a customer, there's a crisis, you know, the big order you're trying to land. And sometimes you have to get on a plane and go and you have to lead from the front. And that's the way it was at Battle Station. Went to Battle Station, you put our, your best officers, your best sailors in their highly skilled roles because you were going into a combat situation. So you wanted your best people in the best roles. I think that's probably, I don't do that as much in the business world, but I have used it. And you can probably think of times in your career where you've had to say, yeah, okay, this is it. I'm taking the reins, right? Because this is a big problem for my company and I need to take the leadership here. So it's not as common as what we did in the military.
Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. I think it's worth saying that, yeah, there is a time and a place that you always hold that trump card if you want to, to say, okay, but the reality is more people would be served to get out of having to feel like that all of the answers hub and spoke, like they are the hub and everything revolves around them, all the questions and everything goes through them. Versus, no, there's a time where, no, I do need to step up and make a difficult decision on the direction or something like that of the business. And that's actually where I want to kind of go next with you is you mentioned mission and the people. How do you integrate then vision along with that? Because I kind of think around vision, mission, values, and that keeps going if you Mm -hmm. go into people and stuff. But in general, vision, this the direction of the company mission, what are we trying to accomplish? And then values kind of really speaks to the culture. What are your thoughts around those? Yeah. So one of the things I talk about is vision needs to be communicated. And I always say, if you can find four words to communicate your vision, you're going to be in better shape than most companies. And I learned this by my wife's a teacher. And uh, when I was still in the Navy, she was teaching at a local public school in Kings Bay, Georgia, where we were stationed. And she had a principal that they had a goal of trying to maximize the amount of time that each student was being taught. And so he had an expression. He would say, get up and teach. And he would repeat this over and over again. So he in a meeting and said, remember, teachers, get up and teach. And so my wife, she said she every time she'd be in the classroom, she would hear her principal's words behind her, get up and teach. So she would like, oh, she, if she found herself grading papers, and she's like, I got to stand up and teach. I got to teach. And even to this day, So we're talking 25 years later, she still hears the words of that principal, get up and teach. So the question is, what is your vision and how can you communicate it in four words or less, right? To the point where everybody knows what it is and it resonates and it means something. And so I always try to do that. And in our company, we say we're a different kind of supplier and everybody knows what that means. There's meaning behind that. In other words, when the big companies say no, we say yes. When the big companies go slow, we go fast. When the big companies make it complex, we make it simple. So we're a different kind of supplier. That's the vision for our business. And that's the mentality I want in my team. And so we try to keep it simple and short. And that's kind of the idea behind a quick and simple vision that you can communicate simple. Mission is obviously where we are in the world, what we want to try to achieve as a company. What do we want to be known for? 
what's our niche. But one thing you mentioned is values. And one of the things I do is I have one, we've got it up in the board in the front room, but I teach all our employees that I have certain expectations for every one of my employees. And number one is we respect each other. We keep each other safe. That's number one in our expectations. So treat everybody with respect is number one. Number two is do what you say you're going to do. Be a person of integrity. If you say you're going to be doing this, then you do this. And if you're going to miss a deadline, you tell me before the deadline, not after the deadline, right? So we've mm-hmm. got certain expectations that we communicate with the employees. So if you work here, these are my expectations. If you want to be a part of the team, this is what the expectations are. So I think some of those resonates a little bit with how we do it as a small company. One of the things I notice in big companies is vision and mission statements kind of get put in these cheap Walmart frames and end up in the lobby. and Nobody sees them. They don't have meaning. And I think, especially as founders, we need to keep that vision fresh in the minds of our employees and not only communicate it, but act towards that, make our actions reflect that we're consistent with that. I'll give you an example. So big companies in my industry will argue when there's a quality problem. They'll say, well, you know, how did you install it? Could be your fault. Maybe what voltage did you place on it? So they'll fight with a customer when there's a problem. Hmm. There's one vendor in our industry that changed it when they said, if you have a problem, no questions asked, we'll return it. And they're in a different kind of sector of our business. But we said, we're going to be that kind of supplier when it comes to problems. If a customer has a problem, we take it back, no questions asked, and we provide a replacement. And we don't argue with the customer. And so, especially as a new entrance to a very conservative industry, they recognize that, oh, even if I get stuck, peak demand, my company will take care of me. They'll they'll replace it. No problems asked. And again, it's a different kind Mm -hmm. of supplier. It's a different way that we operate than the big companies. And so the thing is, what happens when your employees come to you and say, we have a $10,000 problem at this account and they want to return everything? Mm -hmm. See, that's the real test, right? If you say, well, no, no, we can't do it, then your vision's dead. The goal you have for what you want to be as a company is dead. So that's the moment when, as an entrepreneur, you got to say, absolutely, we're taking it back. Yeah. It sounds know? real good when you're sitting in a boardroom <laughs> at a quarterly retreat and you're like, let's is what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. What happens when the rubber meets the road? Okay. Yes. And you actually have that type of return, which is actually a good question. Follow up to that. Then how do you balance looking at gross margin? right? Or gross profit in your margins, your gross margins, your net margins, and that business matters. Yeah. But yet you've got a philosophy of no questions asked. Yeah. So you bring in somebody else and they're going to be like, oh, we got to get these margins, John. These are not good. We got to get these down. We got to start talking about our returns. Oh, your returns are out of whack for industry norms. And then you're faced with this dilemma of, well, are we going to stick with it? And I'm giving an example. Of course, I don't know your your margins, et cetera. But I mean, I think that the analogies speak true. So how do you reconcile those two different things of running a sustainable, profitable business that, yes, we do look at our profit margins. We and we want to make sure that we increase those. How do you think about it? I think of this way. It saves a lot in marketing costs, first of all, because. Mm. We don't have to go out and look for new customers because they don't leave us once we gain them as customers. Not only that is that this industry is small. There's only 3,500 customers. I sell to electric utilities, only 3,500 electric utilities in the United States. And everybody talks to everybody. So they tell you the good stories of how this company, Peak Demand, took care of me when I had a problem. Mm. And they're like, wow. And contrast that to X, Y, and Z company over here, the $40 billion company treated me like dirt when something happened, right? 
to me, it's cheaper to retain customers and to grow by word of mouth than to try to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. fi- trying to find those new customers. So for me, it's worth every penny to do this because we build a reputation of not putting your dollars at risk when you buy from us, especially as a new entrance. We're seven years yeah. into the business. Yeah. My competitors are in the billions of revenue and we're the newest. So how yeah. do we minimize the risk for our conservative customers? And that's by saying, hey, we take care of you. I love that. I think there's three different ways to grow a business. Get more customers, get the customers you have currently to be worth more, and then keep the ones you got. Keep them buying yeah. back. Yeah. And that's the part that's the one that people kind of miss the most is how do we just do such a good job that we keep the customers we have so that we can spend less to be able to grow because our customers aren't leaving us, which speaks to, yeah, we may give up some margins, but look what we're saving on the marketing acquisition cost to get new customers to be able to grow because we're not churning the ones that we got, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I would also say that one of the things is we've learned over the years as to what our perfect customer is. In the beginning, we wanted to sell to all 3,500 of those utilities. What we've learned is the big companies don't appreciate our value proposition as much as the smaller utilities, right? Mm -hmm. And so the smaller utilities are are willing to pay a higher price to get that level of service that they like from us. We're we're quick to return, of course, quick on RFQs, quick on getting shipments out, quick at returning emails and phone calls. Small companies love it and they're willing to pay that price. The Mm -hmm. larger utilities in our industry will, uh, you know what, I don't really need that. And they put an army of supply chain people on you to reduce your cost and reduce your margin. So we found that we had to spend time over seven years to find who our perfect customers are. And that's who we want to sell to, the ones that we can make money and then appreciate our value proposition. So sometimes as a small business, you got to figure out who your ideal customer is. And one of the customers I had to fire early on was a million dollar customer to our business. And I had to fire them because we weren't making any money and they were causing us grief, aggravation, and they would lie to us constantly with respect to when we were going to get paid. And I just decided we... Not, we're going to end that relationship. So a million dollar client is gone, but it was fully replaced within a year with higher, more profitable customers. Such a good example because, yeah, it's easy whenever the customer is a $10,000 customer versus a million dollar customer. Then that really starts challenging you to start, are we going to stick with what we say of how we're going to do things? I yeah. think it's awesome. Yeah. And who are the customers we really want to serve versus the ones that we don't? I'm in the process right now. By the time this podcast drops, I, I'm sure I would have been able to decide on this, but I'm hiring an ad agency to run mm. paid ad acquisition for the coaching business. And it's expensive. It's a $100,000 decision, really. I mean, the investment up front, et cetera. And at the end of the day, yes, the money matters about, okay, I'm going to evaluate it on that. But a lot of the ones, the two to three that I'm down to right now, really comes down to more fit and mm-hmm. what's the experience been like. And those sort of things have transcended the actual dollar amounts. Yeah. Because if it was between the three of them, there's one that is less than the other two. Yeah. But I'm thinking about the entire experience of what it's going to be like actually working with them on a regular basis. And do I enjoy them? Do I enjoy the team? Are we aligned on the philosophies? Things of that nature. That stuff really matters. And, And a lot of times we tend to forget those things. Yeah. It's funny. I say leadership is a people business. I think sales is a people business too. And so is relationship with customers, relationship with vendors, relationship with the community. It's also a people business too. Yeah. No doubt. That's the magic there. (laughs) 
So I want to talk to you about one of your books, and it is I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. I've got to ask a broad brush question here, but what are some tangible things somebody's listening to this and says, I want to be a better leader? I mean, the mm. name of this podcast is the Leadership Podcast, but I really want to become in 2023 a better leader. And I want to take tangible steps to that. I'm listening to this podcast to become a better leader. I'm reading books. I'm listening to other podcasts. I'm investing my own development to try to be a better leader. What does that mean for you? And what are some tangible, specific things somebody listening to this could start today? It's funny. I get that question. I talked to a lot of graduate students about leadership. And the question I got one time, and it really, it was kind of interesting. She said, how do I know if I'm a good leader? And my answer was, if you walk up to a group of employees and they all go silent, you've got work to do, right? But if you go up and they turn and they all want to, they talk to you about what's going on and, hey, we've been thinking about this. We've been trying to do this. So how do you become a leader worth following? Well, part of that is beginning to truly understand what leadership really is. And it's about motivating people to accomplish a task, accomplish a goal. And so what leadership isn't, it's not about emails. It's not about to-do lists. It's not about action. It's more about leadership. It's about people and about knowing your people and getting the most out of your people. And one of the exercises I do when I take over a new manufacturing plant, I would meet with as many employees as possible, obviously all the key managers, but I would try to get as many employees as possible. And I would ask three questions. One is what's going well here? The second question is what's not working here? And third is, if you were in my shoes, what would be the first thing you would do as taking over this business? And what's interesting about those meetings that I have is that almost all the ideas coalesce around a few key things that have to be done and a few key issues. And a lot of times we think we need to hire a consultant to do that, but we can do that. Or we think that we need an HR person to deal with our people. And I say, no, you don't outsource leadership to HR. You don't outsource your leadership to consultants. I mean, obviously consultants can be brought in for certain things, but your people have some really good ideas and they really can help you take your business to the next level. It's just that many people have not listened to them. So people want to have a voice. They want to know that their ideas matter. They want to know that their job matters. They want to know that they're part of something bigger than themselves. And so part of your job as a leader is to engage them understand what makes them special, what are their hopes and dreams, what are the things they want to do in their life. And if you can align their daily activities to something that is consistent with their goals and hopes and dreams, and it helps the company, the company's goals and vision and mission, man, it's magic. And so your job is the quarterback. You like the sports analogy. So you've got to get everybody in the right position to be able to, to execute the plays with precision. And you can't do that if you don't know your people, if you don't know what your players' capabilities are. And so you got to spend a lot of time doing that. And when you do that, you build relationships. It's a two-way communication. So you get to know them, they get to know you, and you figure out what makes them tick and what makes what motivates them. What are their hopes and dreams? And if you can try to help them achieve them and also achieve the goals of the business, then it's business is fun. It's not difficult, right? When everybody's engaged, excited, and happy to be there. They have families. They were not just put on this earth just to serve you and your vision that you have for the business. Although that is important. They do want to know, where is this thing going? Do I have a future here, et cetera? And they do want to get bought into that bigger purpose of like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? 
And as much as I love spreadsheets, it's not always a number <laughs> on the spreadsheet. It is really getting down to how are you doing as a person? I was thinking back a minute ago, and I meant to say this, is that you were saying, hey, in the military, we would say, what's the mission? And you would say, like, one of the missions would carry out the mission and then bring them safely home. So what you're saying is it's not enough to be like, oh, listen, they returned back. So, I mean, that's good enough, right? It's like, no, we actually took care of them along the way on the journey. Yeah. It's yeah. not just enough to say they made it safely home. It is also how well we took care of them along the way. Is yeah. that fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really important. And the other thing, too, is you touch on something that leaders have to do, and it's difficult sometimes, is that sometimes we have people that just don't fit in the organization. And yeah. it's just like as a football team maybe has a player that doesn't quite fit. I liken it to a puzzle piece that just doesn't fit into the puzzle. And yeah. so sometimes you're going to find those people. And it's a tough thing to do when you have to let somebody go. But I've always found that it's better to address that situation, especially in a small business where you have few employees. Every employee is the high percentage of your workforce, right? So you want the best out of everybody. So sometimes you have to let people go. And almost 99% of the time I've done it, they've found a better puzzle, a one that where their piece fits in perfectly. And it just didn't fit within our puzzle. And that's okay. But we have to make those decisions because all the rest of the team is looking at us like, are you going to take care of Bob? Yeah. Because <laughs> Bob yeah. isn't really pulling his weight. And they're looking to you and say, are you going to take care of Bob? And you say, if you care just about people and not the mission, you might lose track of that. But it's the people in the mission. And these people are upset and the mission isn't getting done. You've got to take action. So sometimes we have to let people go. And it's a tough thing to do as a leader. It's a tough thing to do as a boss. But we always try to do it in the most humane way and help them find the right puzzle that they're going to fit into better. Don't you think leadership has so much nuance to it? Absolutely. It's interesting because I'm working on my doctorate right now in strategic leadership. And I told my professor, there's just a deep ocean of leadership studies and theories. And there's so much out there. And it's because that the human nature, we're so complex. We're complex mm -hmm. creatures. And I always say this, people are messy right? They're going to do whatever they're going to do. And you don't know how they're going to react to change. You're not going to how they're going to react to a new way we're going to do things, or we lost a customer, or we had a bad month. Everybody reacts to things differently. And that's why there's just, like I said, a deep ocean of study trying to figure out what's the best way to handle these situations. So I've been doing it for three decades. And sometimes I'm introduced as a leadership expert, and I hate that. I don't think there's such a thing as a leadership expert. I think it's people who are always trying to get better and trying to improve and trying to learn. And I don't think I'll ever be an expert. I think that's humble for you to say. That label of saying expert almost gives off the connotation that you figured everything there is to figure out about leadership. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah here, I've figured this whole, it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons I think about this podcast is called the Leadership Podcast is because it's a journey. I mean, from the time that I started this three years ago, or we started this to now, things have evolved in my mind about business and leadership in general. It's like, man, where my head was in 2019, even let alone 2015 or 2010 is totally different. And I'm an evolving person. And so is everybody else. Right. And so one idea in leadership taken too far becomes too much. Like I love Oreos. I don't <laughs> buy too many Oreos. But I really do like Oreos. That's like that and your peppermint patties are my only sweet two things. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't really buy them very much. Four of them is okay. The entire box 
not okay. It's yeah. just too much of a good thing. So tell listeners about the books that you have, John. I've got three books. One's called Eye of the Watch. And I have the watch. It's a shorter book. It says 22 short stories of how to become a better leader. Then I have what, a book called All in the Same Boat, which is my second book I wrote. And that's really a lot of people in the first book said, hey, I want to hear more sea stories. So All in the Same Boat's got a lot. It's like 50 stories in that book. A lot of them are sea stories. And uh, you get to understand what it's like to live and lead on a nuclear submarines. If you kind of geek out on submarine stuff, like a lot of people do, you'll like that second book, All in the Same Boat. And then my last book is called You Have the Watch. And what that is, it's a guided journal for leaders, and it'll take you through a year's worth of leadership training. So each week we go through a different leadership a theme, and each day we took we explore a different facet of that theme, and it's meant to be interactive. So you learn something, you practice it that day, and you reflect on it that night. So it's more of a guided journal. Yeah, so three books, and everything's on my website. It's johnsrenny.com. I feel like we scratched the surface <laughs> of leadership. We just barely scratched the surface. I'd love to have you back on in the future. Absolutely, anytime. So many things that stood out to me in that conversation with John. I mean, we've heard it. I've certainly said it many, many times, but it really is a good reminder that at the end of the day, leadership is really all about the people and taking care of the people that you are there to lead. And it's not just enough to accomplish the mission, but it's how you get there and who you get there along with really does matter. Being able to then align the goals that they have for their life, what they want to accomplish, to the, then the mission and the vision that you have for your business. I love that vertical alignment there. We talked about vertical alignment a little bit different with Mansoor on his podcast of taking it from daily activities. But I think this is a different type of alignment. It's getting that person to be able to see that their voice matters, the work that they do matters. They have a purpose in your organization. They can help you or help the business and help their peers in the business to be able to achieve the goals, the objectives, the vision that we have in the company, while along the way, being able to serve their family and be able to maybe buy their first house, upgrade the car, put their kids in a nicer school, move to different neighborhoods, have more margin in their life and they can accomplish those things and they're not different from one another. They can accomplish all of those things while working for you in your organization. Love that conversation with John and definitely want to be able to have him back on in the future. Big shout out to our podcast sponsors. I heard this on my first million podcasts. Look, you're not paying anything to have guests like John to be able to come on the episode, but we have a gentleman's agreement and that gentleman's agreement is that you tell one person about the podcast, you make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to our podcast and maybe consider leaving us a review if this has served you. I got that from the My First Million podcast, which I really like. And so I thought, I'm going to share that with our Club Capital family. All right, everyone, big shout out to our podcast sponsors, though, because if it wasn't for them, we would not be able to get incredible people like John on Club Capital. It's important to be able to understand your financials, using your financials to be able to make better decisions. Maybe some of those decisions could be investing. You're also going to use your financials to be able to make the biggest investment you'll make in the business, and that is in your team. That's in your people. We don't want to go around smashing Rolexes through bad decisions. And so 
having a company that's going to ultimately be able to get you cast a wide net, get you a lot of qualified candidates that you can then be able to compare. Because if you're comparing one candidate to maybe just two or three others, it's not casting a very wide net. And so the only way to be able to get a consistent flow of great candidates is doing it on a regular basis. And that's where the team at Autopilot Recruiting absolutely shine. Go to autopilotrecruiting.com. Let them know that you heard about them on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Well, if we're going to stick with not smashing Rolexes, then we definitely don't want to smash Rolexes once they come on board. And one of the best ways to do that, we got to train them. I think as Andy Grove says, hey, it's either through training or it's through motivation. And again, just like you know how important it is to recruit on a consistent weekly, daily basis, you also, you've been in business for a while, you know the importance of pouring into your team and developing them on a weekly basis, actually having a developmental plan. There's nobody better in the business that not only is they are getting it done at a high level, but are able to kind of share with you the templates, the word tracks, the things that they're doing to have so much success. And that's Coach P. Go to coachpconsulting.com. All right, everyone, until next episode, lead well.